The following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. This is Len Costa reporting from the field today uh, for the Stuck Mike Avcast here at the Hartford Municipal Airport in Hartford, Wisconsin, where I'm joined with Stuck Mike Avcast listener Larry Overstreet. First of all, thanks for joining me today, Larry. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Len. So Larry and I were supposed to get together today and uh, go for a glider flight. I've actually never been soaring or in a glider, and I happened to be visiting in the area for work and got in contact with Larry about going for a glider flight. And uh, turns out the weather today didn't necessarily pan out for the proper amount of lifting, so I figured what not better chance to sit down and kind of get an idea of what it takes to, you know, to plan a glider flight from weather to takeoff to touchdown and all that's entailed. Um, and actually, Larry first started out as a glider pilot at age 15 before he started flying powered aircraft. So we'll kind of talk about that at the end, what that transition was like. So um, first of all, Larry, like I mentioned, you know, we didn't actually get a chance to go up today because of, of the weather. But as you were sort of telling me off, um, off the air, there isn't uh, something I wasn't aware of is that actually every day is not necessarily a day for gliding. And there's certain conditions, atmospheric conditions, that you're looking for. So could you start by first kind of giving us an idea of what you looked at you know, over the last day or two to come up to a you know, decision that we could actually go or no go? Sure. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it is very much a weather-dependent sport. And uh, unlike an airplane where you can, you know, put the throttle forward mm -hmm. and go in just about, you know, any kind of uh, conditions, you know, reasonably, um, with, the, with the glider, uh, you're in a sled. You mm -hmm. know, and unless, unless you can find lift uh, through one of a few means, uh, you're coming down pretty quick. Um, you know, you, if you get a tow up to 2,000 feet, you might have a 15 or 20-minute ride, okay. but that's not very fun, mm -hmm. you know, by itself. Um, it also gets expensive because the tow is the part of the uh, part of the flight that is the most costly. Um, with uh, with a glider, though, uh, you're dependent on the atmosphere, and uh, I think I was telling you I'm I'm a really crummy golfer, but mm -hmm. the best way I can explain it to people is to say it's kind of like golf in that on a given day you're sort of dealt a hand on a given course, and you come out. The wind is a certain way. The you know the grass is a certain length. The um, uh, you know, the greens are dry or the greens are damp or whatever they are. You know, you're sort of dealt a certain set of conditions, right. and it's really up to you to play that set of conditions the best you can. Similar way with soaring, um, on a given day, you're going to have a certain atmosphere. You know, mm -hmm. there's going to be a certain amount of lift around. Um, there's going to be a certain amount of winds around. There are going to be um, uh, things that you can take advantage of, things that work against you. And so it's a bit of a sport to try to leverage, you know, all that to your advantage as best you can uh, and make the best flight out of it that you can on a given day with okay. your skills. So, you know, the pre-flight consists of checking the weather similar to what, what you would do in a powered, you know, powered aircraft. But there's 
sort of one extra step or one extra you, uh, resource or utility that you use to kind of give you an idea more of the atmospheric lifting tendencies or conditions. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. There are a few of them out there that you can get the same basic information from, but essentially you're looking for a forecast of lift, uh, how strong the lift is, mm -hmm. um, how high it will go, how high it'll be usable, meaning it, it's got a decent shot at supporting an airplane uh, glider, you know. Um, uh, in, in soaring conditions. Uh, and so we looked today and found out that um, it was going to be, uh, you know, very little amount of lift, not very strong and not lasting very long during the course of the day. Um, and so uh, what it would have turned into is just a day, one of those days where you get a couple of sled rides down the mm -hmm. hill, uh, but you don't actually get to experience soaring, which is kind of the fun part of mm -hmm. it. Now, as far as one thing you showed me offline, actually, is some of these lifting charts show an actual altitude to them. Now, you know, like the one we were just looking at a few moments ago was showing a peak of about 3,350 or 3,300 feet. Uh, is that AGL or MSL? Uh, that's MSL. MSL, okay. Yeah. So what that effectively is telling us that the lift can only get us and the glider or equipment up to that altitude, essentially. So, okay, so... What, uh, I mean, that, like you said, is that, that just kind of what determines the length of the ride or, or what? Yeah, and we're, you know, we're here at about 1,000 feet uh, field elevation, and you add on 1,000 feet for pattern altitude, so that, you know, 3,000 becomes really 1,000 feet of mm -hmm. uh, real, you know, usable flying room. Um, the other thing that we looked at on that chart was the strength of the lift, right. and it was coming in somewhere in the 1 to 2 knot neighborhood, which effectively means uh, 1 to 200 foot a minute uh, of rising air, mm -hmm. which is right at the edge of where you can use it or not okay. uh, be able to, um, uh, depending on the efficiency of your, of your glider. Okay, so what would that equate to in that mm -hmm. instance? We just did the math, about 1,200 feet above traffic pattern altitude. What kind of, like, maybe duration or length of ride would you get out of that? Um, it, 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 at that point, probably wouldn't change a whole lot. Um, you would have, um, if it was stronger, and you could continue to, you know, sort of you use the atmosphere to keep you up at that mm -hmm. altitude. Uh, that would be more encouraging. Um, you know, if we if we had something in the you know two three four knot range, which would be two three four hundred foot a minute of, of lift, uh, that would be uh, stronger. It'd probably be a little bit more reliable. Probably be a little bit more widespread. Okay. You know, so you'd have a chance to kind of go from lift to lift to lift as you as you flew around. Okay, so that's actually my next question. What essentially I don't know if goal is the right word, but what is the goal? In soaring, is it to ride the lift up and then come down and hit another pocket, or you just ride the lift up and kind of zigzag around at those altitudes and then come down when you're ready? How does it sort of work? Um, on a good day, uh, you can you can kind of fly forever, okay. uh, and you know you you quickly can find yourself outside of the distance that you can glide back to your starting airport. Um, you always want to, just like with a power plane, when you're looking for, um, you know, you're always kind of asking yourself, what would you do if the engine quit? Where would you land? Mm -hmm. um, and you maybe are flying along and you notice there's a field over here, there's a bean patch over there, there's a road over here that looks like it might work. You know, you're just kind of keeping that in the back of your mind. With, with soaring, um, you uh, always want to be within gliding distance of a suitable landing field. Mm -hmm. Suitable landing field may be a bean field, mm -hmm. you know, you may land out somewhere. Um, but uh, it, w when you're trying to, you know, spend a day soaring or whatever, I had a, a four-hour flight a little while ago, and, you know, took off, got towed up to probably 3,000 foot above the ground. That, that would be typical for the, the operation that we have here. Mm -hmm. um, and then released, found some lift. And on that day, as I recall, it was probably you were able to, to fly up to um, – 
probably in the 6,500, 7,000 foot MSL uh, range. And so, you know, you, you uh, circle in that lift going higher and higher and higher, and then at some point break out in the direction that you want to go, and now you're in sinking air, so you want to fly faster through the sinking air to get through it mm-hmm. more quickly. Um, and when you hit a certain altitude where you, you're starting to feel like, huh, I'd like to be a little higher than this, you find some lift, stop, circle again, circle, okay. and go back up, and then break out again in the direction that you want to go. And that may take you on a very direct path, or it may take you a little bit zigzagging, depending mm-hmm. on where you think you might be able to find the best lift. Now, you brought up an interesting point earlier when you said if you get away from your landing area or you end up you know, landing in a bean field, I have... We have another friend who flies hot air balloons, and he calls, I think he mentioned, he called it something along the lines of assumed trespassing or something like that. You know, okay. what, what, what under those circumstances, I mean, people just sort of don't mind that a glider has landed in the backyard, and then, you know, how do you get it out of there? G- generally, it's, um, uh, I think most landowners are kind of intrigued, just like most landowners would be intrigued by a balloon right. landing in their backyard, <laughs> and not too many people get upset about it. Um, I think the general rule is... Um, if you if you land out somewhere and do any crop damage or something like that, you always offer to, to sure, pay for that it. Makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. um, for the landowner and and some you know some kind of a you know gracious compensation, if you will. Um, and then also, if you land out, you're going to have to have someone bring your trailer out and help you disassemble your glider and put it together. Okay. And of course, you have to buy the beer for that. <laughs> so so you're out on two ends of it. You so know? it's similar than like with ballooning. It is trail. You can trailer your trailerable. Yeah. I guess in yep. that condition. Okay. One of the, one of the things about gliders that is that is different from uh, aircraft is that you don't have to be a licensed mechanic mm-hmm. to remove the wings or tail surfaces or whatever to put it in a uh, to put it in a uh, a trailer. Okay. Um, and so it's very common. Um, if you look out here, you'll see some glider trailers. Uh, you know, they're the long, long, skinny ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's pretty common for people to store their gliders in the trailers. And then when they want to fly on a given, say, Saturday or whatever, uh, come out here, pull the glider out, put the wings on, assemble it, test all the control surfaces, uh, go fly, mm-hmm. come back, disassemble it, put it back in the box. Okay. You know? And another, and you, and you don't need to be licensed to do that. Yeah, right. I mean, it just it's just you it's know just kind part of part of the part of the flying a okay. glider. Now he had mentioned also that there are different types of gliding, which maybe I wasn't aware of in the first place. But uh, could you elaborate on those a little bit? Sure. Um, I, I think what we were talking about there was uh, different types of lift right. that you can take advantage of. And there, you know, like in the states here, there are really three, and maybe that's all there really are. But um, in the Midwest, where where I typically fly. Um, you have uh, primarily a thermal lift. And so uh, you can think of it as some hot spot on the ground is giving off heat, radiating heat more than the surrounding areas. So that might be a factory parking lot Mm -hmm. or a factory roof that is uh, sitting out there in the sun baking all day and and giving off heat uh, vertically versus uh, grass areas surrounding it or a lake or something like that that's going to be relatively cool compared to other parts of the surface. Um, A black plowed uh, field would absorb heat and radiate it uh, uh, much better than maybe the surrounding areas if there were grasslands mm-hmm. or something like that. And so it's this uneven heating of the Earth's surface that causes uh, hot air to, you know, the, the ground to heat, uh, the heat to radiate uh, into the air, and then that to rise up. And as you're flying along, you may feel that as a bump uh, in a powered plane, right. and a sailplane, you feel that as, you know, that's my fuel, that's mm-hmm. lift. Um, and so you turn into that fairly steep okay. bank. You, know, you might be 45 to 60 degree <laughs> bank. You know, commonly, 
um, and you just cork, about you stall just speed. Like corkscrew yeah, right just up doing there. a real tight, a tight. You know, if you're a power pilot, think of it as just a you know a high banked mm -hmm. uh, turn, except that we don't have the option to add power to hold to maintain uh, altitude, right? right? Um, so hopefully you're in a spot that the air is rising faster than whatever your sink rate is, and so you end up net going up. Okay, interesting. In other parts of the country, um, so uh, sometimes I get some of my glider friends here and and myself uh, occasionally we get a chance to go down to Tennessee um, or other places. There's a, a particular place down in Tennessee that's pretty fun um, that is uh, known for its ridge lift. Okay, and so that's just a straight that that's not heating so much as um, if you have a mountain ridge and the air is blowing roughly 90 degrees to it, the wind is, uh, it'll hit the ridge and get deflected up. Right. And at the top of that ridge, you can fly along that ridge with the air just blowing up underneath you, um, sometimes for hundreds of miles. People have flown from Tennessee to Pennsylvania, you know, on wow. uh, just <laughs> riding that ridge. And really, you're falling the whole time. You yeah. know, there's no engine to hold you up, so you're really falling. It's just that you're in an area where the air is going up mm -hmm. faster than you're going down. Um, the other, the third kind of lift uh, that you see is mountain wave lift, okay. which is um, more common out in the Rockies, a little sure. bit, a little bit out in the Appalachian Mountains and that sort of thing. But uh, essentially, the way I've heard it described a lot is if you can imagine a stream uh, with with water flowing down uh, and a log across that stream that sort of dams it up, um, as the water gets high enough to where it goes over the log then downstream of that you'll see it kind of you know go down and then go up and then go down and then go up go down you know uh, reducing magnitude each with each cycle same thing with the um uh the air going over a mountain system if there's you know kind of the the right speed to to set this up and the right kind of mountains um you can have these areas where the downwind of the mountain the air is going up and then at the top it goes you know kind of hits the top and right. then you know kind of goes down and then hits the bottom uh you know the, the valley below or whatever and gets deflected back up and it does this up and down thing so you can be in an area of pretty strong lift and then you know a little bit downwind of that pretty strong sink mm -hmm. and a little bit downwind of that lift again and then sink again so you kind of get into the right spot there and you can I'd almost just ride the thing like an elevator, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, at the top and bottom of those, you typically have a lot of turbulence because the air is sort of changing direction, right. so that can be a little bit nasty. Um, sometimes at the top, you'll see uh, the lenticular clouds or mm -hmm. lens-shaped clouds that really are, um, they look like they're still, but they're really building and decaying, you know, okay. just super fast as, as the wind is turning underneath them. Okay. So those markers in the sky, whether it's the, the cloud formations or you know uh, birds soaring or whatever, sometimes are clues as to where you might uh, be able to go and get some okay. lift. So we've sort of talked about you know the pre-flight experience and and what it, what's involved in there. Now you know talk us through. We're at the airport. Obviously, mm -hmm. it's an unpowered aircraft, so we need to get towed. Um, you talked about actually, uh, you know, that being part of the expense. Uh, is it sort of like skydiving? If, if you're if you're a diver, you know, you pay a flat fee for a tow. Uh, usually, it's a flat fee to a thousand feet uh, AGL, okay. Okay. and then um, so much per hundred feet above that. Okay. So it, you know, it, and it's um, you know, so if you if you go to two thousand feet, there's a fixed dollar amount. If you go to three thousand feet, there's a fixed dollar amount. Okay. Um, the uh, you know, getting ready to go um, is, you know, there's typical uh, pre-flight inspection. Mm -hmm. um, some things you aren't going to look at like you would on a power plane. Obviously, there's no engine, so there's no fuel to check. There's no, uh, you know, there's no um, 
uh, oil to check, right. anything like right. that. Uh, you don't have to look for bird's nests inside mm -hmm. the uh, cowling uh, in the same places. Now, we still have a pitot tube, mm -hmm. so if you have problems in your area with you know, wasps or something like that, you can still have, um, you can still end up with a plugged up pitot tube or sure. whatever. So some of the things are pretty much the same. Um, check, check the control surfaces and so forth. Uh, the, um, uh, some of, some of the, uh, the differences have to do with the fact that you're getting pulled up by another airplane uh, for an aero tow. Uh, so you're going to check the uh, condition of the rope. You're going to check the condition of the um, uh, the uh, tow hook on the airplane and on the and on the tow plane. Uh, you'll typically give it a test. So mm -hmm. you'll hook it up, have somebody pull on it, release the the rope, make sure it releases properly, put it back on, that kind of thing. Um, and then um, the takeoff and tow uh, up to whatever agreed altitude you're going to is. Uh, uh, pretty much like you know flying in formation you really are flying in formation with a you know maybe a 200 or 250 foot rope in between you to keep you mm -hmm. at the right distance um the some of the things that are that you need to watch out for are your position relative to the tow plane right so they teach you when you take off uh you will become airborne far faster than the tow plane will and if you wanted to cause trouble, all you have to do is start climbing because you'll pull up on the tow plane's tail and put his nose in the ground mm -hmm. you know, real fast. Um, so you typically uh, fly basically up into ground effect and just stay there and wait until the tow plane then takes off and climbs out of ground effect and then you sort of climb up with him. Keep the tow plane's wings uh, roughly on the horizon and you're going to be in a pretty good spot. What was that like the first time, you know, being pulled behind another aircraft? Again, you, you did non-powered flight first, but just the sensation of, you know, you're not really in control of what's happening other than, you know, taking off, but somebody else is dragging you around. What's that? Yeah. And actually, what's the taxi like, too? Um, there really isn't much of a taxi. You typically push the glider out onto the okay. runway, <laughs> line it up ready to take off. The tow plane comes out. Put the rope on okay. and, and take off. You know, the, the first time you move is take off run. Gotcha. Um, the um, uh, any other sort of taxi like uh, things that you might do, maybe to get the airplane out there or afterwards, we're typically using a four wheeler or a golf cart or something like that to pull okay. them around. Um, the um, the the takeoff, like I say, is you know you get into ground effect and then uh, fly. Um, uh, so that the tow plane is pretty much on the horizon, typically, that would be what's called high tow position, which means that the, the wake vortices from the um, airplane that's pulling you, the tow plane, are going down below you. Okay. okay? And if you, if you just drop straight uh, you know, down below the tow plane, you'll hit the point where that turbulence is, and you just go right on through it until you're below the turbulence, um, and then you're in what's called low tow position. Um, when you're turning... Uh, it's not really a coordinated turn, and so uh, when the tow plane out in front of you banks, if they bank you know, to the left or whatever, you typically want to use about the same bank angle they do, but as you're turning, keep your nose pointed on their outside wingtip. Okay, and so you're sort of getting getting uh, drug through the turn a little bit in a little bit of an uncoordinated fashion. Um, you do that partly because if you know when you're all when we're all kids, we played um, crack the whip or whatever, mm -hmm. and uh, you don't want to be playing crack the whip with the airplane and and getting to where you're starting to accelerate and getting swung you know way out to the outside of the turn. Uh, the 
tow pilot, uh, we've got some great tow pilots here in our club. They're pretty good at finding lift and getting out to a good okay. area for starting. Um, but they'll t- if, you, if you have agreed on 3,000 feet or whatever uh, of, of MS, or sorry, AGL altitude for release, they'll get you up there. Uh, level out, make sure you're straight behind them. Uh, you want to visually check for traffic both below and to the left and then also above and back to your right because as soon as you release, the tow pilot is going to make a descending turn to the left and the glider makes a climbing turn to the right to take that excess speed and turn it into maybe another couple hundred feet of altitude. Okay. Um, at that point, you're lined up, you release, he makes his dive, you know, diving turn to the left, descending turn to the left. We make a climbing turn to the right just to make sure that we're putting some, you know, some distance between us. Um, and then it's off to, you know, you, you, typically you'll, you'll trim back to some airspeed for, mm-hmm. you know, depending on whether you're finding yourself in lift or not. Um, if you are in lift, you might want to just see what you can do with it. If you're not in lift, um, you uh, might want to pick a direction or look for some um, clues in the sky as to mm-hmm. where, or on the ground as to where you might find some lift and start heading for it. Okay. Now, the aircraft itself, uh, so obviously the differences, you, some of them that you pointed out, there's no engine, there's, there's you know, is, a, is an obvious one, but it has all the standard flight control surfaces, ailerons and rudder, um, elevator. What about flaps or drag? What kind of other devices? Sure. Some, some gliders, so yeah, uh, typically you'll have all the normal, you know, basic control surfaces, so ailerons, rudder, uh, um, uh, elevator, and so forth, trim, you know, whatever. Um, with the... Uh, gliders, you're typically, um, the gliders that I fly typically don't have flaps. Uh, they typically do have dive brakes. And so flaps, you know, when, you look, when you put a notch of flaps in, you're increasing drag and also increasing lift. Correct. Okay. With dive brakes, um, they're popping up usually top and bottom or spoilers, people call them, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, you're essentially increasing drag and decreasing lift. Okay, so it allows you to have a much steeper, more controllable glide path mm-hmm. uh, coming in for a landing. Um, turns out, too, if you're using dive brakes, you, you, when you do get around to, to making the pattern and landing, you want to sort of set it up so that you're using about ideally half dive brakes for the entire pattern. And then what inevitably happens is, you know, you get up a little high, a little low, you know, you, you made a you know, a little too wide of a pattern or whatever, um, the dive brake lever ends up working almost like a throttle. Whereas if you, you know, push it forward and take the, reduce the dive brakes, um, you end up getting more speed and more lift. Mm-hmm. Um, just like if you added power, you know, and if you, if you pull it back, you know, to reduce the power uh, in an airplane, pull the dive brake lever back, you're going to add more drag and, and get less lift, you know, just like if you pull power on a, on a regular plane. So you can kind of, mentally, you can kind of control. Correlate that, okay. Uh, yeah, the, the descent rate of the airplane in a similar way. Now, speaking of the descent, I've—I mean, I've—I've I've known a few people who do some soaring, and what I understand is it's not quite the standard glide path on final that you would in a powered aircraft. And you had talked about the dive brakes, but I think that goes into it. And—and uh, and I might not be stating this correctly, but the way I've understood it is you kind of get—I don't know if it's down into the flare or down lower on the part of the approach, and then you sort of start forcing the aircraft towards the ground or diving a little bit more um what again i might be misspeaking but talk me through the landing and how it's different from powered aircraft sure um you you only get one shot (laughs) there is no go around right and so um 
the uh, you know the, we're, we're all taught different checklists, you know, different mental checklists like cigar or whatever. Um, and uh, w with gliders, the the landing checklist uh, that many people have been taught is foostall. Uh, so it's flaps if you have them, um, undercarriage because some gliders are retractable, mm -hmm. um, uh, speed, trim, uh, air brakes, test them because even though um, they're not you know they're all mechanical and so forth, uh, if you take up a take a glider up. Uh, past the point where you're in freezing temperatures, um, you can have water that's residual sure. that would lock up control. So you want to test them, make sure they're working right. Um, uh, and then the, the last two are look and land, okay? And so you while you're just entering downwind, you want to be looking at the runway. Is there any obstruction out there? Is there a glider sitting out there waiting to get pulled off the runway that maybe landed before you? Mm -hmm. um, you know, kids running around golf carts, Animals, you know, you know, name it, whatever. Um, and at that point, you want to be able to make a different plan. And that might be landing in a bean field across the highway, or it might be landing long or to the left or to the right or whatever. But you, you want to uh, continually make sure that you're looking out there at the uh, intended point of touchdown and, and uh, making sure that it's clear as well as, um, you know, as, as well as you can. Um, and then the landing, you're coming around, and typically a, a glider... Um, will want to come in, you know, maybe a little bit higher and steeper, okay, uh, and use those uh, spoilers or dive brakes or whatever to what do you, whatever lift destroying devices you have on that airplane to help you come in in a really controlled way and and you know fairly steep. Um, a lot of people will, uh, you, a lot of times you'll see gliders coming in that do a pretty nice uh, nice slip on final, you know, just to, uh, again, increase drag and increase your angle of descent. Some gliders don't slip very well at all. It's just not very effective because, um, you know, one of, the, one of the ways that a slip works is that uh, you're, you're kicking in some rudder and exposing the side of the airplane to the oncoming air. With a glider, if you have a really long wingspan, um, when you put the rudder in, you're exposing less of the wing to the frontal air uh, and and more of the fuselage. But some of these fuselages are so sleek mm -hmm. that there's just not a whole lot of difference between you know when you when you when you move it around a little bit more of the fuselage and a little bit less of the wings uh, just doesn't change the drag a whole lot. So certain gliders just don't slip very well. So mm -hmm. then you're definitely using you know, uh, uh, speed brakes or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, coming in, you know, coming in, you know, moderately steep compared to what you might think of, you know, a three, like a three degree uh, approach in an airplane or mm -hmm. something like that uh, is pretty, you know, fairly common. Um, but uh, uh, other things about the landing, you know, you, you want to manage your energy mm -hmm. such that uh, you're getting down and stopped and hopefully off to the side of the runway so that if there's somebody behind you, you know, other airplanes, whatever, that you're not out. You, know, you, you don't want to just land and stay on the center line until you stop and a wing drops and you sit there, you know, because then you're, then you're a hazard and mm -hmm. it's dangerous for you. It's dangerous for everybody else. So just, you know, getting off to the side um, is, is pretty important. Okay. Uh, talking about um, the... Um you know, the fact that there is no engine, so it's quieter. We're up there and you're gliding mm -hmm. around. It's 
it's almost peaceful, if you will. So you probably don't have to wear headsets up there, correct? No, I don't think I've ever seen a glider pilot wear a headset. <laughs> no, um, a lot of times they'll have a, a mic on a on a boom. Okay, that is just sort of around in around the area. Because that was going to lead me to my next question. So, do you have a radio? I mean, how do you communicate with the aero toe, and then mm -hmm. you know, entering a traffic pattern or any of that? Yeah. So um, most of the gliders, you know, pilots that I know, whatever, are, are radio equipped. You know, just the battery handheld radio mm -hmm. or uh, or a mounted ship, you know, ship mounted radio but still with a battery um, communicating with the tow pilot uh, when I learned to fly gliders I was I, the first time I took a glider ride I was 13 I sold it when I was 14 um, we didn't have radios okay so uh, at that point it was all signals uh, you'd uh, potentially talk to the pilot ahead of time and sure. have a general plan. I want to go to this altitude, let, you know, take me over west or whatever it is. Um, and then uh, there's a whole series of uh, signals between the tow pilots and the glider to communicate things like, please speed up, please slow down, turn left, turn right. I'm, I'm unable to release. Uh, I'm unable to release you, um, you know, whatever. Uh, and so those are all signals that are things like rocking your wings, wagging your rudder, uh, pulling out to the side and rocking your wings, whatever. Um, and those are, are um, uh, common and established, you know, signals that are that are standardized. Um, but if you have a radio, you can just call. Right. You know, sure. So. Okay. All right. So we've sort of taken gone from the full range of you know weather and and pre-flight and tow and takeoff and landing. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, um, you know, your transition because you did start out in gliders. Mm -hmm. What was your transition like from glider to powered aircraft? Um, a lot of years had passed in between, and um, so it didn't strike me as uh, as much as a transition. Like I hadn't been. Uh, uh, life happens. We. Um, I uh, went to college, got married, had kids, you know, all those things that happen and kind of slew your flying down. So I had been doing the glider flying and then took a few years off okay. of that before I started with power. Um, but I think a couple things. One is that, um, you know, with, with gliders, you know, spinning a glider was very common, you know, in other words, intentionally, you know, you were just taught to do that. It was actually kind of fun. So um, the idea of taking a 150 up or something like that and learning to do spins was just, you know, uh, you know that was that was fun. I mean, mm -hmm. I had a good time doing that. Um, I, I think you also um, find that you uh, are pretty comfortable with the rudder. You know, a lot of people don't. Uh, if you start in power, a lot of people don't use the rudder. Maybe as, or maybe don't need to use the rudder, whatever, as often as uh, you would in a glider. Mm -hmm. um, the um, idea that you had the luxury of a go-around was just, you know, that took something, <laughs> that took something to get used to. Uh, on the other hand, my glide ratio on a 150 kind of sucks compared mm -hmm. to, you know, even even a basic glider, mm -hmm. you know. So, um, you know, power off, you know, the thought of where would I land, my, my in a glider, the thought of where, where would I land, I have, you know, some distance out in the horizon where I'm, I'm thinking I could reach, whereas in a 150 it might be, you know, not a whole a whole lot closer to where I'm at, mm -hmm. you know, um, and so some of that, you know, your expectations of what you can do in the airplane sort of need to get reset. But that's mm -hmm. probably pretty common with any, you know, any transition between any any aircraft. Mm -hmm. Most people do it the other way, where right. they they start as a power pilot and then do yeah. an add-on glider rating. <laughs> um, which, if if you move that way, you don't have to take another written. Okay. Um, I think uh, the minimum requirements are something like. Um, 10 solo flights and a 
check ride. I mean, it's it's pretty basic. Right. It's, it's very easy to move that direction. Um, the way I did it, I got to take my glider written, and then I got to take my power written, and I did, you know, so you could, you'd do everything twice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to fly when I was 14, so sure. that's all right. Yeah, well, that's interesting because that's kind of, I think, the normal progression I'm used to hearing folks is it's usually one of those things after they've been flying for a while, it's sort of the next pursuit, you know, what next rating or certificate might I get for enjoyment? Gliding is another one. And so, you know, when I learned that you had started gliding first, I was like, Uh well, that's kind of like the reverse process I'm used to hearing. So it's interesting to hear your transition into powered aircraft. And so as we kind of close out here, what I'm, what I, you know, my next question for you, sort of the, the last question here is, how do you feel that soaring, because you started soaring first, mm-hmm. how do you feel that that experience in unpowered aircraft prepared you for flying powered aircraft, making you more comfortable with emergencies and making those decisions for landing spots and judging your gliding distance and your rate of descent? Talk us through that transition that you were able to, to use that knowledge from gliding and, and use it, uh, you know, mm-hmm. apply it to powered aircraft. Sure, sure. So one of the, I mean, it, it almost goes without saying, but, you know, just one of the, the first things that struck me was just the uh, similarity of, you know, the controls work the same way, all, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so just knowing why I need to um, uh, use the rudder when I use the ailerons together, you know, that sort of thing, and just being comfortable with um, basic you know, just simple basic airmanship, you know, nothing, nothing fancy or whatever. Uh, just keeping the ball centered, you know, that kind of thing is, was a big help. Um, I, I think, you know, sort of the aware, like you're saying, the, the awareness of, uh, I am coming down you know, right. in a glider and I don't have any power to get myself back up other than my own skills in the weather and the day and the cards I was dealt. Um, it makes you uh, pretty conscious about you know what your line, what your landing uh, <coughs> options might be on any given day in any given spot, and so you know I, I'm uh, kind of always looking around, and we all should be doing that anyway in a sure, power plane. Sure. Um, but it's uh, uh, you know I think maybe just driven home a little bit more you know for a glider pilot because you just don't have you, you don't have any you know throttle option. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just not in, uh, not in the equation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because you know there's obviously one sort of famous incident if you talk about the the uh u.s airways that landed in the hudson you know his Mm -hmm. the transition from there was he was able to use the the captain was able to use that parallel experience Mm -hmm. from gliding to get the aircraft manage the energy as you mentioned earlier and uh you know i could say can see the benefits of having that knowledge even if somebody didn't do their glider rating first perhaps they did do powered Mm -hmm. powered aircraft but even obtaining a glider rating or even glider training, I think, mm-hmm. just adds to the awareness that a pilot has about managing that energy, picking those yeah. emergency landing spots, and just overall, it's probably a darn good thing to have experience doing for you know for everyday flying. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not at all qualified to even comment on <laughs> on some somebody's skills like that. One thing I would say though is uh, one thing he didn't try to do is he didn't try to stretch his glide. Right. You know, he knew what he could do. And, you know, he said, we're going to Hudson. Right. And they offered him, you know, every airport, you know, anywhere near there. And he's like, no, we're going to Hudson. Mm-hmm. Because he knew that he couldn't stretch that glide any more than he could stretch that glide. Right. And that was it. And so um, not um, not making the mistake of trying to get more out of the circumstances than mm-hmm. what was possible, mm-hmm. I think, was probably, you know, one of the, one of the huge... Um, 
you know, he did a lot of things right. That was mm -hmm. one of them, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and and I think the same thing is true with gliders. You know, you just sort of get to know at different speeds you're going to get a certain result, and that's what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. It's not going to, you know, it doesn't help by pulling back on the stick until you stall. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, before we leave, how about any comments or suggestions for listeners interested in getting involved in gliding? I don't know, you know, comments or tips or techniques, something that you've learned along the way that yeah. could help them through the process. Yeah, whether you're currently a power-rated pilot or not, if you're interested in gliding, gliding go you know, go do it. It's it's fun. It's very challenging. It's very different than any other mm -hmm. kind of flying I've ever done. Um, you can find local glider clubs all over the place. If you look at a, a, you know, if you're a pilot and you look at a sectional chart and find the little glider symbol, right, you know, go to yeah, that yeah. airport and ask, you know. <laughs> in fact, we just, this last weekend out here at our club, we had uh, a couple of different people who just stopped in and said, hey, are you, are you with the glider operation, you know, mm -hmm. and they just had questions and some of them were pilots and some of them weren't and some of them flew at other airports and, you know, it was just fun to meet people. Um, so go do it. You know, that, I guess that would be the first thing. Um, for other information, uh, the Soaring Society of America, which I think is SSA.org, uh, okay. but if not, just Google Soaring Society of America. Um, they've got good directories and a ton of information, uh, you know, that, that can help you get started. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, I really appreciate you talking to us today about gliding and soaring and, and sort of taking us on the, the quicks journey from takeoff to touchdown, if you will. Uh, so this is, um, thanks, Larry, for being on the show with me today. I certainly appreciate it. This is Len Costa in the field here at the Hartford Municipal uh, uh, Airport in Hartford, Wisconsin, reporting for the Stuck Mike Avcast. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Avcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Avcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa production.